we're excited to present two Q&As. The first from Chile 76, a 2023 new director's new film selection, and the second from Unrest, a 60th New York Film Festival main slate selection. Both films will be opening at Film at Lincoln Center on May 5th. Manuela Martelli places the viewer in a historical moment fraught with anxiety, the early years of Augusto Pinochet's regime in Chile. Her narrative presents Pinochet's oppressive reign from the unusual and surprising perspective of Carmen, an upper-middle-class woman whose life begins to unravel after local priest, Father Sanchez, implores her to use her summer beach house, currently under renovation, to hide an injured young man whom she comes to suspect is a victim of political persecution. As Carmen descends into danger, she experiences a gradual moral awakening. Martelli's film is a taut, evocative, and impressively assured depiction of the inescapable, ever-tightening noose of patriarchal and governmental dictatorship and how its effects gradually bleed into our everyday experiences. Don't miss Chile 76, opening in our theaters on May 5th, with director in-person appearances opening weekend. Get tickets at filmlink.org slash Chile 76. Now please enjoy the conversation. Um, maybe we can start by having a, a small conversation and then share with the audience. Um, um, one thing that you've mentioned in previous conversation, it's um, the inspiration from women in your life and particularly your grandmother to create the film and to create the role uh, beautifully um, performed by Eileen Koppenheim. Uh, I was wondering, are the process went uh, from going from personal inspiration to someone you knew to creating the character of Carmen. And if you could talk a little bit about that to start. Uh, well, thank you for saying. Um, so, yeah, it, first um, I started wondering about my grandmother, who I never met. Um, it was my mother's mother. And I knew just like stories, small pieces of stories that I would put together. Um, and But I knew that she was a woman who, coming from a very conservative uh, family, Spanish immigrants and very Catholics. She had another interest, uh, very mysteriously, because you know she, her context was very conservative. And then, um, but she got married at eighteen and had three kids and was housewife, um, but still had these curiosities and love for literature and art. Um, and but I think that in a way there was uh, this uh, problem that has no name um, kind of phenomena with her. Um, she was always uncomfortable, I think, with with dealing with these two things. Um, 
uh, and so I, she was really depressed and at, at the last three years of her life she was um, really depressed and they coincide with the first three years of the dictatorship. So I started wondering about this depression as a more like as an independent individual phenomena, um, like thinking of it as a, as a more social problem. Uh, and so then this idea of looking at the political context of Chile through in, inside uh, the domestic space came. Um, and so I think that this, this um, problem that has no name in a way was the, um, how do you say, Germen? Uh, like the um, core, yeah, the, yeah of, of, of the character in a way. Um, and then, but then I, I, uh, I understood that I, at a certain point, after a very long process of writing and, you know, um, errori, como se dice, como trial, and trial and error, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, then I understood that uh, I have to um, go to, like, be free, feel free, and go and, and do a fiction of the character because I th I think it was too trapped in in being very um, like um, how you say uh, loyal loyal to my grandmother yeah so then what happened that was really nice is I I started discovering this character and then I sort of Aline and I started writing for Aline and and then. I started talking with her, and she had a grandmother who was very transgressive and a very, very amazing character. So I, I would start also putting some, I mean, I started putting some stuff about this grandmother into Carmen. And then I started doing also many interviews with women from that period, and also uh, like picking stories from them. So you started with one grandmother, you went to another grandmother, and then you picked from a lot of grandmother right. to, to yeah. create the, yeah. the role of, of Carmen, definitely yeah. uh, in the writing process, but I assume also in the direction and really the creation of the character in terms of what how we see her on film. Um, one, one of the amazing parts of the film is really the the way uh, Aileen Koppenheim is, is impersonating that, that character because we see this entire trajectory um, and it's nearly as if we can see what she's thinking or she's feeling and it's, it's taught by really a character study of this conservative, middle-aged, bourgeois lady that doesn't seem interested in what's happening outside um, or very distant to it, and and or she becomes so involved in such um, interesting approach to the to discovering a country um, outside of her little nest, and the way Eileen is carrying this also is quite 
Amazing. Um, and I know you've worked with Aline before, obviously, as, both as actress. So I'm sure you had a really strong relationship together in terms of not just writing from her, but also as R2 director. Uh, so can you talk a little bit more about that? And if you did you shoot chronologically? Uh, or not at all, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> oh, Matt can talk about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So then that'll be, that'll be your point. So, so can you talk a little bit about... Um, working with Alien and directing her also. Uh -huh. I, I, well, so, right, we met um, first in a film called Machuca mm -hmm. that was shown here, I think. Yes, it showed here, yeah. Yeah, Andres Wood. Yeah, Andres Wood. And then another film from Andres Wood called uh, Good Life, mm -hmm. um, where we were playing mother and daughter. So then we met more closely. And, and I think that I, in a way, I learned a lot of acting by, by seeing her performing and being with her and, you know, having scenes with her. So in a way, I always say that I directed her as I learned from her. Um, so, and I, and I think that most of, of the, the work was done previously when we were talking about the character. So I think that, and, and you know, this, this, I think that putting stuff from her grandmother into the character also made her feel closer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she knew, um, she, she really knew everything when we started shooting. Like she was really involved in the character and the film. And I think it's really nice how she has a whole understanding of the film. She's an actress that really knows um, the complete picture, not just her own character and, yeah. If I may add, she was also like a great uh, team worker. I mean, mm -hmm. she really became a partner of Manuela's and of the whole film, and she was a trooper. We had like very limited resources. She would be, you know, cold waiting on the street. Like, you know, there were all these things that she was able to do for us that we're really grateful for. And she's one of like uh, Chile's uh, best actresses, and we're, Absolutely. you know, very happy to to have this film um, showcase her in a way that we think she hasn't. Uh, been showcased before, so uh, uh, we 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 just love her, and she's become obviously very close to us over this whole process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's a gift that goes both ways. I mean, it's a wonderful role for her, but also you you can see how it would also be um, something that she brings you. She brought you a lot into the film, yeah. so it's um, yeah, yeah. it's nice that you started as mother and daughter in the previous film too. Uh, a different way mother and daughter as you directing her <laughs> so you'd be the mother in that case <laughs> i think i think we were a family yeah, yeah. i think we what am i saying yeah we were really everybody was um, putting all containing each other yeah right. uh, there's something else also that's really uh, remarkable in the way you took a lot from uh, different genres of cinema to go beyond um, a political film or, you know, a, a dictatorship film or character study by pulling from a lot of different genres. 
Uh, it comes with the way it's filmed. Uh, it comes with a sort of like close-up you do, you, you used. Uh, the use of music also that I hope we can talk a little bit more about. And it's, it's built such an incredible suspense that is a thriller also, as well as a horror film and as well as a, as a political film. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about the process, about how you managed to mix all of this so successfully to create a film that talks about history, talks about a specific time in, 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 in Chile uh, and in people, and then also make it like a, like an, a genre slow action movie at the same time? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that when I decided to set the film in this specific year, I knew it couldn't be other than a horror film. Uh, and, and I think that also the character took me there. Um, and, and this was in, the, in this process of writing uh, when I understood how could I apply what I knew as an actress into the writing process, mm -hmm. which was in a way putting myself in the, in the eyes of this character. Um, I, I just felt that she was living in a thriller film. And I think that also um, she was perceiving what she was living, what she was going through as a thriller, because these were her own references also, mm -hmm. like these films from the 60s and, uh, and the 50s. Uh, so for me, it was like shooting the film as, the, as how she was perceiving it. No? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't, want, I don't know if you want to say something about the the um, uh, setting in this period. Uh. Um, I guess, well, what you were saying about the music, uh, it's like, um, it's a really striking use of the music mm -hmm. that uh, we were really happy, uh, and, you know, lucky to work with Maria Portugal, who's an amazing Brazilian composer, and she uh, did all of the original music for the film, um, working very closely with Manuela and obviously mm -hmm. the tone of it all and choosing it. Um, um, and I think it really brought an amazing layer to the film that um, that I think Manuela always imagined and she very strongly pulled forward and and it was very mysterious to us as to like what was gonna come out of the process. Um, but, but I think uh, it works beautifully with um, the tone of the film and how it builds that sensation of a thriller that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I think it also uh, presents like a striking contrast in a, in a, like a more contemporary way. Like it, it, it goes against what you expect from a, a quote unquote period film and mm -hmm. what, the, what uh, it just runs in a direction that, uh, that I think it's very striking and it really lifts the film uh, up in, and gives it a whole other layer of meaning and feeling to the character. Uh, so, so really, you know, happy to have worked with Maria. Uh, yeah, if you enjoyed it, the soundtrack is currently available on Spotify. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the way she builds up, like, the... The soundtrack, it's nearly at some point, I was I was thinking of like nearly the film of Dario Argento in terms of like, you you know something is going wrong 
but you you build by the atmosphere and you, it doesn't you don't know how far it's going to go but yeah. it, you it puts you on edge um and also like the on the end credits like the, just the title of each song <laughs> the pathos horror <laughs> yeah. like it's 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 also um, it's always on the soundtrack what all this is on the soundtrack yes and I mean, did you did you bring some to share with the audience <laughs> no okay. i wish uh <laughs> Uh, no, no, sorry. You didn't think of it. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe for the release on May 5th. Yes, maybe. <laughs> we, we, we expect some DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there will be. Sorry. There will be. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, think it, I think the soundtrack is on vinyl. If you guys oh. out there look it up, you can of, find of it. Of course it is. <laughs> Cooler than cool. <laughs> uh, can I ask one last question about maybe the cinematography and your relationship with the cinematographer? It's uh, Yara Rodriguez. Um, because the use of colors also and the palettes and the, the change of colors for the film. Uh, there's some pink that matched your socks also. Uh, oh, it wasn't delivered, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, it works really well with uh, pink used yeah, in the. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wish it had been delivered, that would have been great. <laughs> uh, but can you talk about your collaboration with uh, Yara and, and are you constructing the shot also, um, which are, you know, memorable? Like this, the scene with the paint that's quite striking and then the repeat with the cake, mm -hmm. uh, mixing colors, also the, the tone and the palette are switching, uh, going with, you know, blood being spilled uh, mentally or physically also. Mm -hmm. um, right, I, um, I, this is another thing that in the writing process was the character who took me there in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, because I started asking myself, how, what is she doing at the beginning? What is, why is she going to the beach? Um, I imagined that, of course, she was doing some renovations in the house, and then I thought of the painting, and um, and I and I thought that in a way she was putting all her creativity in painting the house. This was the space that she had for creativity. Um, and and I liked this idea of her being very out of the world and out of reality and thinking of of um, Venice as a reference. Um, and I liked it also the red, the pink, because we have this said in Spanish that is like um, la vida en color de rosas, which I don't know. I don't know if this exists in English. No, like, like there's not like a literal translation, but the idea of like uh, you live like life in Technicolor in a way. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, but it's like life in pink, mm -hmm. and 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 I liked it that this pink would become more and more bloody at, at once. I mean, through the film, uh, and. And in a way, what happens with the color is also what happens with sound in the film. Um, they both filter inside the house yeah. as, as like a liquid um, matter in a way. Um, and with um, Soledad, we worked, I, I think the, 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 we, we really try to find the co like the equation of how we were looking 
So we arrived to two questions that I think were always there when we were thinking where to put the camera. Um, what, and they were, what is, how do we look at her and what is she looking at? Mm -hmm. So these two questions I think were um, really um, like the, how you say, the, what guides us when putting the cameras in, in the scenes. Um, yes, and then we had references, of course, from, as I said, from the movies of the 50s and 60s mm -hmm. because, because of the character and also reference from the 70s. Uh, we wanted the film to really feel from that period. So the use of the, the zooms and f many filters in the camera and um, uh, yeah, it's the driving scenes. and the, huh? the driving scenes are very yeah serious. the driving yeah. scenes of course uh, yeah mm -hmm. this idea of. Uh, yeah, there, there was also like a very rigorous work during pre-production from all the production design team led by Francisca Correa, our incredible art director. She, it's, this is the first film that she's art directed and it's incredible that she was able, again, with very little resources, pull off uh, what Manuela wanted for the film in terms of the evolution of the character, the evolution of the house, this idea of the renovation, what she's doing with the house and how it changes throughout the film. Um, so Francisca was also like a great collaborator of Yararas and Manuela's in mm -hmm. creating the spirit of the film. Yeah. And, and the constant smoking by Carmen as well. Yeah. <laughs> It was a big budget in cigarettes, I heard. <laughs> yeah, she did, she did chain smoke. But Aline smokes in real life, yeah. so she was yeah. happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how you paid her? <laughs> yes, we paid her in cigarettes, yeah, yeah. Um, we have time for some audience question. I think we have some microphone on the side, so there's someone here, and the microphone is coming to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for this film. Um, Something that really interested me was your use of mirrors. So you start the film with a scene where you know she's sleeping and there's a mirror, and at the end in the church, you know, lots of mirrors, uh, lots of car mirrors as well. So just wanted to know if you you know shot that intentionally, and if so, like why did you use so many mirrors throughout the film? Thank you. Um, yes, we we really were. This is another thing that we were um, working a lot with Diarara. Uh, uh, or Soledad. Uh, we worked a lot with mirrors and reflections, and um, we liked the idea of this character who's looking at herself and receiving a monstrous, monstrous image of herself or fragmented image of herself as well. Um, as, well, as, as it happens with the music, who's also bringing some strangeness in this normal daily life. Um, I think that mirrors and reflections have also this role of showing reality in a deformed or fragmented way. Um, I think that it's what's happening to the character. She's becoming more and more fragmented and seeing herself as in a different way, encountering something different. 
and also asking herself or asking about herself, um, about what she is, what she knows, what she didn't know. Uh, so it, in a way, it's yeah. This. Yeah. Um, I was wondering about the shoes. That there was like a lot of repetition on the boots. And yes, um, I. I, wa I wanted to um, revise history from from the intimate um, place, from an intimate place, and these for, details for me were really important. And uh, and as I started writing or thinking of a film um, with my grandmother, um, I I looked at many pictures. Uh, from the family and what I would do is of course look at her in the picture but also look at objects that were behind because this would give me also information of her so I liked this idea of also concentrating on details and see how much history is also um, sedimented in these objects um, so uh, Shoes were part of this, and I think that in this process of researching for the film and talking with people from that period, I mean, who lived in that period, um, shoes came over and over in different ways. Um, um, there was a story from my grand, from my mother that I really that, that I really liked. Um, she went to visit a, a relative who had just died and he was lying in bed and the shoes, as his shoes were down in, in the floor uh, and this image of, abs I, I thought it was a nice image of absence so um, this is at the beginning of the film and then it was in a way pulling a thread because I liked it, this idea also of having um, like parallel narratives of very simple things um, as what happens in the color and then the shoes is another. Um, the shoes are also a, a place of status uh, in Chile a lot, but I think everywhere. Um, and in, during the 70s, kids didn't have shoes in the shanty towns. And this was very, really common. So I think that there's also this thing portrayed and in the clandestine world it's shoes are really important and some people told me that they would sleep with shoes so this i would collect these stories and put it, put them in the film yeah there's someone here uh, yes uh yeah, no, it's it's a period piece, but uh, since Chile has been going through this great tumult in the last few years, and with the uprising and the election of Boric, and the uh, obviously we're talking about the Pinochet era and the now the opportunity to write a new constitution, but the legacy obviously of Pinochet is still there with the extreme inequality with the slums with you know, so I'm just curious about what the reaction has been in Chile to this film given what's been happening now and, and how people see that era uh, reflecting on that. 
Sure. Um, so uh, we the um, the film was released theatrically in Chile last October. So last Chilean spring, American fall, and uh, we um, it was be it was great to be able to share it with an audience. The film did uh, relatively well in the Chilean scene. It's a small. I guess amount of people that go to theaters, but um, but still it caused a lot of discussion, and I feel like in Chile there's always this discussion as to like for for the broad public, like the, for like a broad audience, there's always this discussion of whether a Chilean film touches upon dictatorship or not, or like, as to whether they should or not, or like should we just move on, or there's this like constant discussion about it. So some people are like, oh, I'm not gonna watch this film because it already brings me back to that period that I wanna like move on from. And that's something that like many people in Chile have that thought process. And for us, there was this idea that like there are never enough films about this. There are never enough instances to go back to what we lived through, to go back to uh, the bloodshed that we suffered, to go back to how that brings us to today, how it's the same thing today that some people are used to holding the power and some people are used to not be able to even be a part of the discussion. And you could see that even from what you were saying in the uprising in 2019 and even today. So I feel like uh, the film uh, really not only um, echoes that era or, or that specific moment, but it also projects us into the future and questions like how, like who holds the power and like who are the people who are allowed to uh, make decisions for the rest of us. Um, and I think uh, that uh, we were, were really obviously very proud of the film, but I think it's, it's always very important to bring up the discussion. And that's something that uh, we were always trying to communicate in, in, the, in, in Chile uh, through Manuela, obviously, and through, uh, uh, through talking about the film. Oh. <laughs> we, we have time for what? Okay, there's, a, there's someone there with a bright shirt that's been raising her hand for a while. Muchas gracias por esta maravillosa película. Y mi pregunta es, ¿cómo creen ustedes que tener una posición política marcada influencia en, corre, en que nuestra vida corra peligro o no? Y también... Esto relacionado a, a nuestro poder adquisitivo. So the question was, how, how do we think that having a, a striking uh, political point of view can uh, uh, risk your life? And, whether, and also, how is that linked to where you are in society in terms of like class and everything? You want to answer? It takes more time for me, but if you have patience. Um, I think that, um, well, it's a hard question. Um, uh, where to start? Uh, what was the second <laughs> well, part? That, uh, yeah, uh, maybe the beginning. Like yeah. for, so, I guess... Um, uh, like, uh, well, the gentleman was saying in Chile we had this uh, huge social uprising in 2019 that's still uh, having repercussions in our political system and how we think our society and there's a new constitution being written in a second attempt because the first one failed. It's a long saga that 
we could talk outside. Uh, but um, for example, during the uprising, there was this huge movement of like young kids who, who got shot in their eyes. So thousands of people in 2019 lost one eye or even two eyes, one person who became this emblem of the movement, um, uh, uh, risking their bodies for what they believed in on the streets. Uh, so uh, in a way, uh, 2019 was really like uh, disarming for all of us because it brought us to a, back to a place uh, of like th those memories. Um, uh, and uh, I, I feel like, uh, I, I, I don't know, in many, in many countries around the world, like in, in Ukraine now or, uh, or in other countries, uh, you have to be out there for what you believe in. And sometimes that brings awful consequences. Uh, and um, and in terms of like class, I think that there was something really interesting in, in Manuela's writing and directing that there was this idea of like, we hadn't seen this before, this idea of like this woman who's uh, uh, not allowed to have a voice. Uh, she lives in a world that she's not allowed to say what she thinks or have a position on things. She's not like, Elias' partner, who's active in the resistance and helping Elias and like moving things uh, in the background, she's someone who's like uh, in this uh, you know uh, glass house, living a very comfortable life. And um, I think that there was something really interesting in in Manuela's conception of the film from the get-go: the idea of like how does this woman acquire a voice in this class that doesn't allow her to have one. Um, and I think that's uh, something that I think, uh, I don't know, it's really well built in, on, in this film through Manuela's writing and directing. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, just to add, um, I think that um, something that is in the film that I feel it's still really um, contingent, you say, um, is that uh, how fragile is the democracy yeah. and... Um, and how there's a class or a part of society who rather put democracy in crisis, in crisis or uh, yeah, pass over democracy in order to maintain their privileges. Um, and I think that I mean this is still very part of our world, not yeah. only in Chile but. I mean, we could see in Chile, <clears throat> uh, you were asking about the constitution. I think we, I mean, we, saw, we saw there how there was a part of the society who didn't want any change uh, for more uh, democratic um, uh, participation. Yeah, participation and, and basic basic needs um, and they were they were um, se dice? Como dispuestos. Um, ready to yeah they were ready to pay a huge campaign of disinformation mm. in order for this con new constitution to not happen uh, and I think that this disinformation uh, campaigns are very common nowadays. I mean, we see it in this country a lot. We saw it in the UK. Um, I think it's, and it's for me, this based on the same thing. There's a group of people who are not wanting 
to, I mean, something is comfortable for some people and they won't change it because they have the power. Yeah, one of the things that I really love about the sailboat scene, for example, is that I feel like that, that sailboat conversation could happen uh, in 2023 in Chile, exactly like Bervadium, you know? Um, uh, so that, I think that's interesting. Thank you so much for the detailed answer. And thank you for sharing with us your beautiful film. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much to the festival for having us. It's a great honor. I just wanted to say that if you enjoy the film, uh, it's coming out here in the city in early May. So keep an eye out. It's going to be playing here at Lincoln Center and also at IFC downtown. So uh, thank you, Kino. Maybe come here. You yes, come here. Come, come here. here. <laughs> Film at Lincoln Center is supported by Cinema Made in Italy, presenting the Eight Mountains, an award-winning epic journey of friendship and self-discovery, set in the breathtaking Italian Alps, from the filmmakers behind Oscar nominee The Broken Circle Breakdown. A landmark cinematic experience as intimate as it is monumental the Eight Mountains traces, over several decades, the lives of two childhood friends from different backgrounds who reunite as adults to build a mountainside cottage which becomes the site of both reflection and reconciliation. Winner of the jury prize at the 2022 Cannes Film Festival, the Los Angeles Times calls it Magnificent, a Gorgeous, Glorious Retreat. And The Guardian raves, Five Stars, Beautiful. This is a movie with air in its lungs and love in its heart. Starring Luca Marinelli and Alessandro Borghi, and based on the award-winning novel by Paolo Canetti, The Eight Mountains is in select theaters, including film at Lincoln Center, this Friday. Visit cinemamadeinitaly.com for more information. A film of immense delicacy and precision Cyril Shoblin's complexly woven timepiece, Unrest, is set in a Swiss watchmaking town in the 1870s. In this unlikely place, a youthful Peter Kropotkin, who would become a noted anarchist and socialist philosopher, experiences a quiet revolution, finding himself inspired by the buzzing activity of the town's denizens from the photographers surveying its people and land, to the growing anarchist collective at the local water mill, raising funds for strikes abroad, to the organizing workers at the watch factory, whose craft is depicted with exacting detail and devotion. Schaublin's abstracted geometric visual approach reinforces the singularly contemplative nature of this project. This is a film about time, its tyranny as well as its comforts, and how it relates to work, leisure, and the larger processes that shape history. Don't miss Unrest, opening in our theaters on May 5th, with in-person director Q&As opening weekend. Get tickets at filmlink.org unrest. Now please enjoy the conversation. So which Swiss stereotype do you want to start with? <laughs> Actually, I want, can we talk about can we talk about the watchmaker, the what your relationship to watchmaking? Yeah, so um, I guess I can say yeah, I come from a family of watchmakers. So my my um, 
my grand aunts, my grandmother, um, my great grandmother, they were all working in a watch factory, producing this balance wheel, the unrest piece. Yeah, so go some way back. And um, I, I've met a lot of them to talk about um, this film. Yes, so. Was that the starting point, the, the family connection? Mm, I guess, yeah, some, somehow, I mean, um, um, I think when I studied in, in when I did my, my film studies in China and in Berlin, I met, I met a lot of people and we started talking about, I mean, when you become friends with some people, you start to talk where you're from. And um, we talked about Switzerland. And yeah, I mean, I think it was then when I started maybe thinking about what was, what was it that my family was doing and in the past. And um, yeah, just the, this idea of a watch factory, uh, which was kind of mis mysterious to me and, and puzzling, but also interesting. So many things happened there. And um, I don't know, then we read some books and started talking to people. And yeah. At what point did um, Kropotkin enter the picture for you? It's also interesting how he factors into the film because you open with a quote and you see his arrival and the viewer is almost set up to think that this is going to be like some kind of... Um, like you know, like a bio, like a bi like a biopic of sorts. So you're going to approach this period and this time and these ideas through this figure, yeah. and then it doesn't do that <laughs> at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Yeah, so. mm, I think it was a good, um, maybe like a, can you say alibi, like mm -hmm. an alibi to mm -hmm. make a, a film at all, like <laughs> a know? pretext. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just. Mm, I think his journey somehow, yeah, gave the reason to to go in one reason to go into the film, but then the wish was to not concentrate on 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 this idea of a biography or or a person. Um, also, because I think um, from an like an anarchist perspective of the 1870s, um, it's really questionable if we should. Um, uh, yeah, I give so much attention to single people and minds, you know, like these big names that we have now, like Kropotkin, Bakunin, Emma Goldman, um, these people. But um, yeah, the, I, the wish was to sort of do it more collectively, maybe, and um, mm -hmm. and look at um, the the margins, maybe, of that movement or time. Well, I think that's that's that that idea kind of plays out in many different ways. Yeah. Um, in the film, um, but maybe maybe we can bring Clara in because actress. I was was you know I didn't know whether to call you lead actress doesn't make sense in the film. <laughs> Protagonist also doesn't quite. Um, uh, so <laughs> I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about like just uh, your. You also have a watchmaking connection. I do. Yeah. <laughs> also, family of watchmakers. Yeah, I think it was my great grandfather and my great grandmother. Who are work, working watchmaking family? And you're not a professional actress. I'm not. <laughs> no, she's. Uh, I mean, you work as an architect. Yeah. So, is anybody in the film a professional actress, actor? Um, accidentally, okay. but not um, because they were like old friends of mine. But uh, not really, not at all. No, maybe one or two. But yeah. Can you talk talk about the reasoning why? Um, I think it was um, really the wish to kind of, I mean, first of all, it was it was maybe uh, the wish that um, 
like the question about language in the past, if it if it really exists in the language of the present, but not to try to make like a historical meaningful language maybe in the film, but um, that we've maybe imagined that there must have been like a kind of a random everyday routine language also in the 1870s and not everything was very heavy and meaningful. So, um, and with this idea, I think it was um, that that to to invite people with all kinds of um, backgrounds and 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 lives, um, yeah, like Clara, she's an architect. Um, um, there is a truck driver from that region, the, the shorter of the two policemen, who's also a farmer. Uh, there are the watchmakers. Um, there is a, a, a rapper from Zurich who's also here tonight. <laughs> Score, please stand up. Maybe you can stand up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's the yeah running the pub in the film. So there is um, all kinds of people, and I think this this idea that um, because I gave maybe sometimes some texts before, but it was kind of quite chaotic, so people didn't really know what would happen. So um, I think the situation that you come together in the morning. Um, people who are never in a film, you get dressed up in historical costumes and you just have to sort of um, reenact a, a so-called historical situation. I think it was so yeah, it's interesting how to see how people would do that, you know, how they would perform this, this mo this, these uh, situations. So I think that was really interesting to kind of have, um, yeah, people, I don't know, sometimes from like when I look around or at myself, I don't feel like people really talk um, language. It's, it feels more like they're being talked by language, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. So that was really what we were trying to go for, kind of, uh, mm, yeah, just language talking through people and inviting their ways of uh, handling their own lives and their language and their mouths. And Do you see any affinities with the methods of Peter Watkins? I mean, reenactment comes up in the film a few yeah. times. Yeah, the commune also. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, of course. I mean, this is so important to, like, if, I think, uh, if, if you make, if, uh, I mean, any film about, I think any historical film is um, like every other film, but I think with historical film, it's more um, uh, obvious that it's a, it's a choice of information from the past. You cannot, mm -hmm. um, um, in, like, um, recreate the reality of the 1870s. It's impossible. So, um um, I think also what Peter Rockin is doing, it's, it's uh, this obvious construction of, 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 of that a historical film is always a construction and in that sense, by doing a choice of information, it's, I think it tells more about the present anyhow than about the past. Mm -hmm. mm, so yeah, Peter Watkins was like helpful um, to watch. Clara, I was curious to hear your, your experience of, of, of acting, of being, of being on set, being part of this process that Cyril just described. So for me, what was really interesting is to become part of Cyril's like mindset that he built up. So it was like books, it was quotes, it was movies, it was so many subjects that he would send to all the participants and to become part of this world of references and in so far to become part of also his authorship was mm -hmm. really interesting. So somehow Cyril split it up his authorship into like 100 different characters or just persons being 
standing there. And then we would like jungle with the sentences, like you want to say it or should I? And ne nobody had its, his own sentences or her own sentences. So did you not have a script? Did you have an outline? Did you change the script? What was um, no, I've had quite an exact script, <laughs> but um, um, I think for reasons, because I think I've never done a historical movie before, so-called historical, like period piece, and I just suddenly, I, I realized that people will start working soon on these set design and costumes so everything that is in the script will be right. will be worked on and it's not like a, a joke i cannot like just say no i'm not gonna you're not gonna need a telegraph station sorry guys <laughs> when they've already built it so um uh, yeah that was very i had to be like um kind of precise maybe and um yes but i also wanted to say that maybe like uh, this kind of process like so there was not like a casting really so it was what clara said it was more like um um an exchange uh, just meeting people for coffees and exchanging books and kind of um create something yeah beyond only the film itself right i wanted to come back to the idea you said about you know not wanting to, to center the film on, on Kropotkin. And there's this larger idea of um, decentralization and how that plays out in the formal language of the film, the structure, structure of the film, um, and maybe more broadly. I mean, I, I think this is a really interesting example of how a film's you know, political content also shapes the form. Yeah, I mean, of course, I think when you work on such a film and you have family that worked in the watch factories mm -hmm. and you think about somebody like Kropotkin where you have so much information about his life um, and but I mean the the, 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 the the women in my family they have no records at all and even in like in archives in Switzerland it's much harder to reconstruct female biographies than male biographies also of like working class people um, so this question, how to, uh, uh, like, wh where, where to give attention to was, I think, very important um, for this film. Also in the sense of, um, maybe that goes a bit far, but I think the books of Kropotkin are very dear to me. I think they're really great. Um, but I think, although he's not in the in the film that much, I hope that like his kind of um, ideas are in the film or that's what we hoped for. So I think in one of my favorite books by him called uh, Mutual Aid, um, it's a reaction to Darwin, to Darwin but uh, he doesn't neglect or deny Darwin. It just says like this, this um, decision where you put your attention to, do you put it on struggle systems or on mutual aid and help helping systems um, was really interesting. So. I think um, this idea, what, what do you give you, like where do you give your attention to in, in a film? And because we couldn't recreate um, in the sense of like Kropotkin asked himself, what, where do you orientate your mind? What do you, yeah, where do you focus on? So I think um, this complexity with women and how to represent them or like um, working women in the 19th century. So. First of all, I think it's very hard to know anything about anybody at all in the first place. But um, especially about those people, I, I felt like, who am I to represent, like to show their biographies or their lives? But um, 
I think what was interesting, this idea, what we could do was not re like reconstruct their biography or whatever psychological stuff you want to call it, but their work, because mm. um, there are still um, watchmaking schools in Switzerland and the people learn how to uh, take apart or build uh, an old watch from the 19th century and they have to be able to build this unrest piece. So, and they could use those old machines from that time. Um, like the potons uh, that uh, you are better than me <laughs> describing. But um, uh, yeah, so that was a bit the idea to kind of, um, yeah, go for the the work they were doing. And I think that's also what happened when we did the, when I did the interviews with my family. I think they were trying to tell me what their life was about. I mean, they were only working with these things, like all of their life, like 10 hours, 11 hours a day. Um, so... Yeah, this was the wish to somehow give attention to the work and yeah, yeah. So, Clara, you studied watchmaking, or you learned? I did. Yeah. I had uh, almost a one year. Um, sorry, a one week. One year would be a bit exaggerated. <laughs> I had a one week course with the other person that is taking part of the film, and uh, Elio. It's her name. And we had these Zoom calls, and it would get dark slowly outside, so time would pass, and we would like talk about this. She would like explain me everything as quick as she could, somehow a crash course, but then we would go more and more deep into it. And yeah, I had a hard time to, to get what it's all about, and then suddenly, like through through analyzing plans we we got into it i got i i somehow i could read it because it's the same tool as i use normally so yeah and then we would just sit there and work on historical materials so i i got courses on on regular watchmaking how it's today and then you sit there and it's totally different unexpected so yeah. um. Cyril, coming back to what you were just saying, I think the way you shoot um, labor and process in the film is very different from how you shoot the other scenes. The cinematography. The, yeah. The um, so we spent just like three days only shooting these um, the the micro shots. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but what about the rest of the film, which has a very particular cinematographic language, which I think you is. Some of which you, I think, were already working with in your previous um, feature. But the idea of, again, decentralization, literally decentering human figures in a frame. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's sometimes also intuitive dis decisions, which are, mm -hmm. I don't know how to talk about it, but I think this kind of question of like choice of information in any film or with the historical film, I think it was very interesting to us. Um, that that the images we would try to find uh, in preparing the film um, that yeah this kind of what is where and why are it, is it there <laughs> how to how to be with it, with an image and trying to um, organize yourself with it maybe that was really the wish and um, yeah um, I just want to ask one more question about um, like just historical research um, and. I think there are some details in the film that seem completely like wild, like the four, four ideas of time in one <laughs> town. Um, 
and like these these um trading these like uh portraits of you know um anarchists like but this is all real right this is all yeah this is all real um um the the, the re i mean of course to synchronize time as we tried maybe to show a little bit in the film was a very um enduring like hard process with like telegraphs like because in like in the like everywhere in the world so in the west western part of switzerland um the sun is is in, in the in, at noon senate in a different time than in the in the other part of switzerland so it was through telegraph trying to synchronize and until that was working out you had different times and i think um Mainly, it was about like uh, security in the train system. Mm. Like in the in the U.S. at that time, there were like train crashes because the different states had different time zones or like the different villages. So yeah, it was um, yeah, and yeah. All right, I think we can take a audience question or two. The film was as populated with technology as with people, as there was cartography and yeah, telegrams and photography. The interest in technology, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think something that I I mean in the beginning when we work started working on the film, I think it was really clear that we are not gonna make a film about the 1870s, but rather a film about the present with like a detour through the 1870s. And um, so I think technology right now is so much, I mean, I think one of my main, or maybe like our main qu question could be about our present is also how we organize like history and and whatever that means history. Um, because I think this choice of information or how like interpretation of history is so much about organizing the, the situation of the present and, and, and also the political, you know, yeah re relations that we that we have um so i think what's really crazy about the 1870s that you had all these new technologies and they were shaping the way that like these um yeah these national states were built which were as much uh, as imagined as a possible anarchist international organization of societies so um i think how technologies uh, influence um um, how we think this is real or this is a society or this is a government or this is any kind of container that we think we are part of um, is uh, kind of crazy right now that what are we going to do with it And um, but it was crazy in the 1870s too so um, thank you um, I don't know um, I think What's like with with like anarchism and watchmaking? I think what's interesting is that um, so it's throughout history. I think now uh, there is an idea that anarchism is like something like uh, chaos or 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 like uh, you know out of orderly organization. But I think in the beginning it was really like uh, just uh, the the intention was to create a new order and very organized. Um, um, you know. Um, access to to things and um, but um, I think what's more for me interesting with like this 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 also the title of the film or this piece that is being built that um, that the center of of the of the watch or the watchmaking at all is is a construction and we now take it for so real now we think that time is really real we think now this is the time that we are in 
And um, I think like the like other ingredients of like industrial capitalism, um, it's just when you go to the beginning, they were so made up and so um, constructed. And I think it's kind of important maybe to not forget about that. Hi. Hi. Um, my question is about aesthetics. Dennis, you mentioned um, the decentralization of the frame that you were doing. And I was wondering if any of the films or style of Hong Sang So had uh, influence on you because I felt like a lot of the quotidian shots seemed so surreal. Um, and I just was thinking of him a lot throughout the film. Of Hong Sang So? Yes. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just read Dennis's book, so I can tell you all about it. No, I mean, um, I feel very... Um, mm, I think in his movies, what really is important for me is that you that you're um, that it's also like this obvious for me kind of obvious construction of an image. It's not trying to hide uh, in in a kind of um, cinematic way that should seduce you and that you forget uh, where you are. Kind of, but it's um, I think it's this awareness when you when you are facing a, a, a made up constructed image that gives you, for me, really different um, uh, invitation to enter a film. Um, yeah, so it, I feel I like it a lot. Yeah. Are there any more questions? I think we can squeeze in one more. Uh, yes, right there. There's a connection between the, the kind of order of this society and the class preparation, obviously, but also the citizens themselves. Even the ones who are skeptics seem to kind of almost embody that sense of order in an interesting way. Yeah, thank you. Um, um, I think this has many aspects, so maybe it's also a Swiss thing. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I think what I when I when I am, um, I mean, uh, you know, I think especially Switzerland, it's it's one of the peaks of you know capitalization in the world. So there's a lot of capital there and a lot of money. So we, I think, especially in Switzerland, we do live in this super, like we're always, I think, almost executing this sort of capitalist mythology that we have all around us. And I just wonder always how little friction there is or like how little um, resistance to it there is in the end that we just do all these things. And, um, or also I was talking to, to my family what the relationship was to the, to the, to the factory owner. And they were like, they were all telling me how, how, how sweet and nice and caretaking this person was. Although from my point of view, he earned like 70 times more than them per month. <laughs> it's really amazing. But, um, I think this kind of caring oppression, maybe you could call it, is so, efficient it's so brutal and for me it's much it's really funny and tragic at the same time but i think it's just how i um maybe experience this kind of uh, stuff and also apart from that i think it was the idea that you have like uh, um, like tales of violence in the film of uh, assassinations or or but that it should not be in the center because I think what's also interesting in that time, this kind of community building of the anarchist movement, that um, it was like throughout these images that were sold um, or li like hacking this kind of um, existing organization of a nation, of the young nation. 
And um, so the trick was being done in not where the so-called revolution would have been taking place, which was also very important. I think this one book by Simone Weil, um, the, the, the La Condition Vrière, when she went, this French philosopher who went to work in a, in a, in a steel factory in early, like late 20s, early 30s of the 20th century. And um, I think she says something in this book that not... Um, not um, the religion is the opium for the people, but the revolution is the opium for the people, which I think is interesting because revolution has kind of uh, like paradise parallels, and if one day there will be the revolution and everything will be fine. But um, so I think this idea was to sort of maybe all, also kind of in a decentralized approach to go to the margins of all these tales that are told and and um, um, yeah, and how people would would um, would. Uh, handle this kind of when they're in that situation mm. I think we have to end now but I want to thank Cyril and Clara for being here thank you so much thank you, thank you so all much. for coming